Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So um, I thought that we could explore today uh, the topic of loss, grief, death, uh, impermanence, one of the key understandings, especially in these uh, pandemic times. So uh, as we've been doing before, um, before I say any more, want to introduce and welcome Eve Decker, who's been with us on these Thursday evenings. And uh, if you haven't been with us before, um, Eve is a wonderful uh, songwriter, singer, uh, Dharma teacher, and uh, she offers something at the beginning and again at the end. And um, great to have you, Eve. And if you have any words to say besides your song, uh, go right ahead and uh, give us your own teaching. So. Thank you, James. Um, so I, what I'm, I'm going to share a song with you that I wrote called Cemetery, which um, is about walking in the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland, which I love to do. Um, but before I sing the song, I'm going to tell a story, uh, a Sufi wisdom story. There was a father of two young men on his deathbed, and just before he died, he gave the two brothers a box and then passed away. And they opened it, and it was two rings, and one was a, a fancy, wealthy, bejeweled, ring and the other was a small tin ring and the older brother took the very expensive a very fancy ring because of birth order so the younger son took the small tin ring and the two brothers went on their way and years later they met up again and the uh, older brother had indeed had a life of many experiences and much wealth but had eventually come to a place of loss and misery, which is where he was. And the younger son was not wealthy ever, but very, very happy. And so the older brother said, well, what, what happened to you? What happened? When I took that ring, I thought I was the one that was going to be having a happy life with the wealth that the ring would bring. And um, the younger son said, well, he said, well, I've been wearing this ring this whole time. And he showed his brother the ring and inscribed on it were the words, this too shall pass. He said, any time that I encountered struggle or pain or loss or sorrow, I would look at these words and know that I could hang on and that this too shall pass. And any time I experienced abundance or joy or privilege or um, ease, I would look at the ring and I would know this will pass. So I wouldn't become too confident. I wouldn't sit on my laurels. 
And in this way, I've found how to live in this world. So that's my experience of impermanence um, or of the truth of impermanence, that it's actually, um, because it's true, it's a, it's a really, really useful guide. And in particular, and, and what I note in this song, um, is that it reminds me not to take anything or anyone for granted and to choose love when I come to one of those forks in the road where I could choose irritation or choose patience. I could choose withdrawal or choose presence. The truth of impermanence helps me to choose love. I heard while 
struggling to be happy. I hope you'll find it in you to forgive me. And as far as I'm concerned, when I reflect upon the ending, all will be forgiven. The strongest feeling is love. I like walking in the cemetery. It's so beautiful there in the winter. The cold, contented tombstones sing praise of friends and strangers. I appreciate the company of the dead. I'd like Mr. Don Juan who said, "Keep death upon your shoulder." It will remind you to love. It will remind you to Well, thank you so much. There was the Dharma talk right there, <clears throat> set to music. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. I love that song. I, so thanks. That was the right one. <clears throat> so exploring loss, grief, and death as uh, it is the a backdrop for our shared experience now. <clears throat> and this is something that the Buddha said to reflect on regularly. If you're familiar with his teaching on the, the five daily reflections or the five uh, remembrances, they're sometimes called. And we will become old if we are fortunate enough to live a long life. We will become sick. We will die. Everything and everyone near and dear to us, we will be separated from. And the fifth one is um, we are the Owners of our karma, our happiness, our unhappiness depends upon our actions, our habits, our choices. He says, think about this every day. In fact, in one discourse, he talks about death as uh, the ultimate reflection, he calls it the elephant's footprint as the elephant's footprint is greater than all the other footprints of all the other animals. Um, so the contemplation of death is the most profound of all contemplations and to keep it in your mind, as Eve sang in the, in the song, not to 
become morbid or depress you, but to just see the, the preciousness of life and to realize that endings are also part of life. They're a natural part of life. They're not a mistake. They're not somehow um, something that shouldn't be there. It's just part of how everything is continually in, in transformation. But looking at that fourth reflection, and this is what I wanted to have us explore together, everything and everyone near and dear to us, we will be separated from. And that also includes letting go of what we're used to, letting go of what was, letting go of the familiar. We're being asked to um, do that every day here with this COVID practice and adjust to a new way of being. And of course, when we hear all of these stories and if we're watching our screens or TVs, you know, we, we see this is something that people are needing to deal with each day. And it's so shocking. It's so um, unsettling. It's so uh, difficult. Although it's also interesting that as you see it day after day, there's something that mm, almost uh, inoculates us to the truth. And this is what the Buddha was talking about to take it in so we're not so shaken and so um, surprised and shocked by it. Mm, this is part of the deal. And the practice, our practice or meditation practice is learning to find our composure in the midst of change, in the midst of loss in the midst of suffering in the midst of um, death even and sometimes it's said that the meditation practice is is really rehearsal for that final moment of letting go which we will all have a chance to experience and meet in our life impermanence anicca in Pali, is uh, one of what's called the three characteristics or the three marks of existence. And each one of them is a doorway to awakening. Anicca, impermanence, things change. Dukkha, there is suffering in life. And anatta, seeing the selfless nature of who we think we are, that we too are this impermanent process. And the more we identify with something that is impermanent, the more suffering there is. And just to see through that solidity, that seeming solidity, uh, and that is a doorway to freedom. And some people are more inclined to one or another of those becomes their doorway. Some people, it seems in their curriculum of life, 
uh, dukkha is the path. And dukkha, whether you've had a lot of suffering in your life, um, dukkha becomes a doorway to compassion, deep compassion and freedom. Um, anatta, the selfless nature of reality, you see the emptiness of it all, including who you are as well. And anicca, impermanence, becomes a doorway to awakening through a complete surrender to the ups and downs of life and seeing there's nothing to hold on to in the first place. Mm -hmm. Many years ago, I was fortunate enough to be part of a kind of a magical mystery tour uh, travel in, uh, in Asia. This is in 1977. And uh, it was after I sat a three month retreat and um, I went to Asia, Joseph Goldstein and Jack were there and uh, some others, Ramdas joined us in uh in in thailand he joined us and um uh mark epstein a uh, few others and uh i was just kind of like you know, my mind was blown i had just sat for three months and it was like oh my god how did i end up here uh, but we visited um we visited first mahasi Sayadaw in burma uh, and then we went to visit Ajahn Chah in Thailand, Jack's teacher and uh, Ajahn Sumedho's teacher, and uh, just a, a really one of the most revered meditation masters of the, of the last century. And uh, somebody asked him, um, well, could you explain the, the meditation practice in, uh, in a very simple way? Uh, and Ajahn Chah's gift was to uh, communicate deep teachings in the simplest, uh, most accessible way. And uh, I'll never forget, and it's been written about in books since, but it was, it was a profound uh, moment for all of us. He looked around and he reached for his cup and he picked up his cup and he said, do you see this cup? And it was a beautiful cup. He said, it was given to me with a lot of love, a lot of care went into uh, making it. It holds my water. I enjoy this cup. But at some point, this cup is going to break. Somebody's gonna knock it over and it will uh, break into many pieces and shards. If I can see this cup as already broken, then when it breaks, I'm not bereft, I'm not confused, I'm not uh, bemoaning uh, this fate, why did this happen? And I use this cup and I enjoy it, but I see it in my mind and my heart as already broken. Simple way to understand and really hold in our consciousness all the time. It's all passing, it's all changing. This is from the Diamond Sutra. 
um, so shall ye view this world, this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. So if you're continually looking through that lens, then as Eve so beautifully uh, spoke of and, and sang in the song, we don't take things for granted. Oh, what a precious birth. Here I am alive in a human form. How did that happen? Oh, here's this friend who will not always be around. Oh, let me really be present for them. So learning to accept this truth of impermanence and, and death, Ellen Watts called it the wisdom of insecurity. We try to find a secure place for ourselves that we can rest and just make sure, okay, I've got it together. Everything is under control. Um, that is a sure prescription for surprise and, um, uh, and, and deep suffering. So I, I wanted to share with you a couple of poems that um, I think for me really um, are teachings about what's called for to understand and work with the truth of loss and grief and death. And there are two poems by a wonderful poet, Jennifer Wellwood. Perhaps you're familiar with them. This first one is called The Dakini Speaks. This is what she says. My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, Let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild and her compassion is exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. 
The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. The Dakini Speaks by Jennifer Wellwood. That's a powerful poem. I've read it many times and I still get goosebumps each time. Mm. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? And the more we're willing to truly open up and not just accept, not a resignation, but embrace, oh, this is how it is. Oh, this is... This is, this is how the game is set up, then we're not fighting anymore. And we can learn to feel it all, feel the loss, feel the grieving, feel the, the pain, and come out the other end and say, yes, okay, this is my practice. So here's a Second poem by Jennifer Wellwood on learning to not turn away. This is called unconditional. She says, willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. Unconditional by Jennifer Wellwood. Mm. So grieving loss, it's one thing to accept it. Okay, I can accept it. Yes, this is part of life. But still, it hurts. You know, if you lose a loved one, um, you can have all the wisdom in the world and it will still likely hurt. There's a, I'm just remembering there's a, a famous story of Marpa, the translator, one of the, the great Tibetan yogis in the uh, Kagyu lineage. 
there's uh, Naropa, Marpa, Naropa, Talopa. And Marpa was a householder. And he, um, he would teach about emptiness and about it. It's all illusion and uh, very profound teachings. And his son died at a young age. And the story goes that Marpa is plowing the fields and as he's plowing, he's weeping and sobbing after his son has just passed. And his students uh, come to him and one of them says, uh, Master, why are you weeping? You talk about it all being illusion. Why is it that you're crying? And Marpa says, yes, it's true that it's all illusion and the loss of one's child is the saddest of all illusions. And so I stand here and cry. So even, even the great masters have to uh, allow for their humanness and uh, not hurry up the grieving process. It's something that it's important to realize you know, that it finds its own natural rhythm, but there's healing in feeling it. I was speaking with, uh, with somebody who I um, support in, uh, in their practice uh, earlier this week. It was a, a group of us on, uh, on a call, on a Zoom call. And uh, we were checking in and this, uh, this woman said, uh, since the last time we met, we meet monthly. She said, um, something happened this month. I decided to have a reunion of all of my uh, close high school friends. We were all a kind of uh, a group that hung out together. And it was great being with everyone, but what it uh, reminded me of, and all of us, was that one of our dear friends in this close-knit circle um, died shortly after high school. And we hadn't seen each other in decades, um, all of these people coming together at the same time, but there she was in our consciousness. And I realized that I hadn't, grieved her all this time i was it was going to be too much to go there and i never grieved the loss of my close friend she said it was one of her closest friends but as they started talking about about her and reminiscing about her and talking about her beautiful qualities and and also just missing her there were tears, there was a lot of emotion, and there was also joy and integration and just, wow, she was amazing. And, and my friend said it was a, a profound experience and it was like, as they were crying and there were, there were tears, it was like this great weight lifted off her chest. She was just so 
uh, astounded. And she said, I, I finally let myself feel it, but it made all the difference in the world that we were all holding it together. She said, I don't know if I could have ever gotten in touch with, with all of those feelings and allowed them to, uh, to process through if we hadn't been there together. So one of the things that's, I think, important to keep in mind around grieving is um, it's really hard to do alone. That grieving happens in community, which is one of the things that we're seeing almost daily uh, in our um, seeing the news and, and seeing the, uh, the memorials and the reminiscences and the the sadnesses. That's why we have memorial services and funerals because we help each other hold our pain. And uh, I wanted to share with you a, a passage that a friend just sent me a couple of days ago on grieving because it was coming up in another group that that this friend and I were in. And this is from uh, the uh, psychotherapist Francis Weller. He says, grief requires two things to move. One is containment and one is release. If I'm doing it privately, I'm asked to do two jobs at once, which I cannot do. So I end up becoming an ongoing containment vessel for grief, but never really allowed to set it down. The community is the containment. A friend is the containment that allows me to then simply do one job, which is to release it, to set it down, to move into it and to express it. But we can't do that in private. We have to remember that grief has always been a communal process. Always, always, always been communal. Only until the very recent times has it become this very interior, private thing that we're asked to carry alone, almost with a quality of shame attached to it. Like, why aren't you over that? Or what's wrong with you? You shouldn't be feeling this. So what I've noticed over the years is that when we have an embodied emotional experience that is not held by others, so that is not held by others. Check that. Noticed over the years that when we have an emotional experience that is not held by others and given that containment, it begins to be attached to fear and shame. So I rarely see someone having a pure grief experience. They're having a grief terror experience or a grief shame experience because those other things have become so enmeshed in it. And part of our job as a community when we gather is to begin to take off the fear and take off the shame and simply sit with the sorrow that are all around us all the time. The sorrows that are all around us all the time. So here we are as we go through this together, as we go through this grieving process together and this loss together and facing death together. There's something, even though we're physically isolated, 
there's, uh, and physically distanced, there's something about the fact that we're all going through it together that um, allows us to hold it. That it's, it's quite remarkable. Something that I've also found very helpful in, in my own working with people who are going through grieving is to do a healing ritual at times. That if you're not quite able to let go or find closure in, uh, in your healing, that um, to do a ritual is very powerful. Having a, a friend perhaps witness you and uh, maybe calling on all the forces seen and unseen to hold you and um, to call on life to support you in this and maybe talk about remembering what you've lost, what you're grieving. Sometimes writing a letter to that person, if it's someone who you've lost, or if there is something that you've lost in your childhood, some part of you that's been lost, writing to that child inside and letting him or her know uh, that you feel their pain, or writing to yourself. But that can be a very profound way to help you um, hold and embrace your grief. Carl Jung says, embrace your grief, for there your soul will grow. So I'd like to um, offer a reflection for us to, um, to make this relevant to our own life. And maybe if there's time, we can, uh, if there's some questions or comments before we end. I'd like you just to think for yourself, go inside if you'd like, and think of some big loss in your life. Maybe a loved one, perhaps a relationship, your youth or some capacity in your body, maybe a special object that you possessed. Just think of some loss in your life, in your past. And as you bring this to mind, how have you dealt with it? What's helped you to process it? Or if you haven't yet processed it, what, if anything more, is needed? getting in touch with the wisdom right inside of you. What has helped you move through loss? Or if there's more healing to do, what do you need to support you in that? And realizing that as we learn to move through our own grief and pain and, and loss, we can actually be there for others. That's the gift. You don't have to fix them, just letting them know 
oh yeah, I'm where I'm here with you. I know what that's like. And I want you to know I'm just here to support you go through it. Just imagine if somebody came to you with a big loss, how you might be able to be there for them. Part of your Bodhisattva training. Let yourself come back slowly. Nobody can take away your pain, but you have everything you need to hold it and process it and move through it with the support of others just to bear witness and help you hold it. So maybe we can if you'd like, we can take some, if there's question or comment, uh, and if you would, if you have something to say, then, um, you know, make it concise if there, there might be a few others. And if you want to make a comment, what you would do, if you go down to the participants on the bottom, um, on the, um, on the bottom of your screen, and there's something that says raise hand. Uh, and if you'd like, you can raise your hand and uh, then I can see you and call on you and um, we can have some more of a conversation. So. Let's see, I'm going to post something, somebody in the, in the, in the process. Uh, uh, somebody says that the Sacramento day alone didn't get posted, so I'm posting that right now. Uh, so, any comments? Oh yeah, Wendy, hi. And now if you unmute yourself and people put on speaker view, then uh, we'll see Wendy pop up. So hi. Wendy, hi, are you there? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, I have tr trouble with this topic. I hate death. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've experienced a lot of deaths in, um, of loved ones in the last eight years mm -hmm. and it, it hasn't gotten easier. Mm -hmm. And when I hear these talks, I, I think of equanimity and it, it sort of feels like the goal of Buddhism is to not be upset but then I know that's not exactly what you're saying. No, it does seem kind of like there's a, almost like a tension there. Like on the one hand, you said it's the deal, you know, and it's impermanence. Of course, you can't argue with impermanence. It, it obviously is. <laughs> it always wins. But at the same time, like it rips your heart out. And so you're going to be completely, I'm working the mental health field. And they say dysregulated, you know, it's like you're all dysregulated. And I believe that's a process you have to go through. I don't know. It just, and when I hear the talks in Buddhism, it always sounds like they're saying like, well, 
you knew this was going to happen. So why are you upset? Which is kind of like the little story you told, mm. you know. So, well, anyway, yeah, that's uh, it, it's 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 not why are you upset? It's uh, as I uh, tried to communicate. You have to grieve fully. But if you're stuck there, then you're somehow fighting reality and uh, you're, uh, it's one thing to feel your pain, grieve your losses fully, like, uh, like Jennifer Wellwood says, but realize this is the way things are. This is part of the package there. It's not a mistake that people and things come and go. And so it's a process that takes time, but at some point, and it sometimes takes the, it takes time for the body and the heart to catch up with what the mind knows. You might know it intellectually, but more and more, I think it's a process of somehow accepting this is the deal and there can be an integration in it. I'll, I'll share with you for me how, how it worked for me in, in the, 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 the most profound personal loss in my life was when my father passed away. And my father was, he was kind of the light in the family. Uh, if you read, uh, if you know, Awakening Joy, it's the first dedication I have. This picture is right over there. If I could reach it, I'd show it to you. Arnold Barras, uh, say to Arnold Barras, who taught me how to love. And he died at a, a at an early age. He was sixty six. He in, in nineteen eighty four. He died, and um, I cried a lot. Actually, I was just finishing a three month retreat and got out of the retreat, and then was with him for that last month and um but what happened was at least with me i know this is possible that instead of continually grieving him after i shed lots and lots of tears it was like he became integrated right inside of me and just having so much gratitude for what I got from him, the transmission of love that I got from him. It was like he lived on through me. And when he used to say, I might get a little bit uh, teary on this, but he used to, when we'd have conversations on the phone and uh, we'd, uh, we'd end, he'd say, I love you, boy. Even just hearing that now, I'm in touch with it. And that's what I passed on to my son, Adam, and later on my oldest son, Tony. Uh, when I, I would say to Adam, I love you, boy. It was like I was just channeling my father. And it didn't belong to anyone. And my father kind of lives through me. So instead of saying, oh, gosh, where is he? I wish he were here. His physical form isn't here, but he is right inside of me. And I think that's one of the, the, the 
gifts of the full grieving process that that person becomes integrated in you. And when I think of my father, it's not with grief, it's with gratitude and it's like celebration. Dad, thanks. Mm, um, I hope you're, you're, you're proud of me and uh, I did right by you. And he's right there inside of me. So uh, it, it, you might just keep that in mind as a, a, a way to integrate whatever somebody, however somebody has touched you, that the best way to honor them is to tune into all the gifts that they gave to you and let those gifts shine through you. But it's not something you can hurry. It's just something you need to first feel all the pain and then have it transformed into um, gratitude. So. Okay. So it's, uh, it's just about uh, time for our ending anyway. So um, Eve, um, could you send us out with a song? Yeah. So in um, monasteries, Buddhist monasteries all over the world, one of the chants is about impermanence chanted multiple times a day. Anicca Vata Sankara. It's uh, in Pali. And um, the translation is, um, all things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings peace. I, um, when I was, I recorded this, I made an album of chants and when I was recording it and hearing it translated and singing it, I was not, the word wasn't peace, the words were great happiness, which was fine with me. I, I, uh, I've mostly um, appreciated the way that impermanence takes away difficult times. <laughs> so I didn't mind that, but a lot of my students really felt like uh, the idea of becoming peaceful and of, of making, uh, of coming accepting of impermanence brings great happiness, didn't make sense. So I brought it to Gil Fronstahl, who's many of you know, I'm a Buddhist scholar. And um, I said, I'd much rather say peace, Gil. Could I say peace when I record this? And he said, why yes, of course you can, because in Buddhism, peace is considered to be the greatest happiness. So it meant peace all along. Coming to terms with impermanence, you know. My dog is only three, but every morning when she wakes up, I tell her I'm so glad she's here because I know she won't be around. She probably has a 10-year lifespan, you know. So I, I get to have a lot of mornings where I say, yay, you're awake again, Kimba. Making peace with impermanence. Mm All things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away, to be in harmony with this
pass away to be in harmony with this truth brings peace all things are impermanent they arise and they pass away to be in harmony with this truth brings peace. Thank you. Well, I, uh, you bringing up Anicca Vata Sankha, it's my, my favorite chant. So um, I think I want to share that with people as well. Anicca Vata Sankara. Often when I lead retreats, I close each evening with it. Anicca Vata Sankara Upadava Yadamino Mupakitava Neruchanti Desang Mupasamo Sukho Anicca Vata Sankara Mupadava Yadamino Mupakitava Neruchanti Desang Mupasamo Sukho Anicca Vata Sankara Mupadava Yadamino Mupakitava Neruchanti Desang Mupasamo Sukho So um, as we close, uh, even as we explore loss and and grieving and death. Remember this is a um, a transformative process where there's freedom on the other side to surrender to the truth of how things are. So letting our hearts be touched with compassion when we encounter suffering and feeling the the sublime state of caring, of compassion, and to uh, know that when we open our heart that way, we're also opening our heart to joy. I love the the teaching. Khalil Gibran says, uh, "Our uh, our joy is our sorrow unmasked," and from the safe side, self same well they emerge. The deeper sorrow carves into our heart, the more joy we can contain. So not to just get stuck on the sadness, but to know that it tenderizes the heart and we have that much more love and caring and compassion and joy to give. So as, as I say in, in the joy course, the suffering comes very easily, very easy to see. Keep looking for all the goodness and all the beauty inside and around you and all the caring that's there in this world, especially during these times. 
So I'll just uh, dedicate and get my bell ready. May our coming here together. Nourish us. Fill us with a sense of community. We're not in this alone. We have the blessing of like-minded friends and whatever good comes of our being here together, may it ripple out and be shared for the benefit of all, all beings, human, non-human, this planet Earth. May all know the highest happiness and peace 